You ready for Basecamp Fitness's best deal yet? Seven days for $7. That's right, seven days for $7. It's time to double down on your fitness goals and snag this offer before it's gone. Call or text Basecamp Fitness at 913-232-9770 or go to BasecampFitness.com to learn more. Impress your friends, amaze your coworkers, make your family proud. Here's what you need to know. Fourth quarter of the program begins right now here in the program as it's a Super Bowl radio row. I don't know. I, I love like I, I'm not I'm not on the air for six minutes. Todd Lebo chooses not to say anything to me, and the moment we start talking again, I get you know. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm supposed to hit, go for the hit and run or something here. I get like a million hand signs. I have no idea what he's telling me. None. None, Curtis. Did he, did he use the, uh, go to the letters or the bill, the cap? I mean, which I don't know. I he's pointing and he's he's gesturing and he's waving. I have, I have no idea what it is. Uh, it is it is <laughs> well, time we're on for the our air. New- so apparently that isn't yeah. anything. Uh, Urgent. So we we at least have that going for us, you know, right. which which of course is nice. That's nice. Uh, time for our uh, need to know. Brought to you by Joslin's Jewelry. Gary Joslin and his staff, best in the city, forty five plus years, locally owned and operated, giving uh, Valentine's a smile for forty plus years. Uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. If you need the perfect bracelet, necklace, earring, uh, pendant, you name it, Joslin's Jewelry's got it. The best selection of jewelry, the most knowledgeable staff. Now uh, that's Joslin's Jewelry online at joslinsjewelry.com. Go see Gary and his great staff at 95th and Antioch, just a mile north of 435. Uh, every diamond scintillating and more than 1,000 engagement rings to choose from. We're talking about Joslin's Jewelry at 95th and Antioch. Start with some Chiefs news here. You need to know that uh, the Chiefs made some moves uh, with the rosters. Maybe more technicalities than anything, but today they activated Sky Moore from the IR and placed Charles Aminu, uh on the injured reserve. Uh, Eric Bieniemy paid a visit to the Chiefs before the AFC Championship game uh, against the Ravens. They found that out. Uh, sat in on meetings and talked with uh, various offensive players. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do we want to do we want to ask that frank opinion question again now? Uh, that that was actually the inspiration for the question, but maybe okay. people didn't hadn't heard that part of it. I had not heard that part of it, so uh, maybe I should read our own need to know <laughs> as I go. You, and you've I had you've more. had uh, all three hands full t- today. You're you're excused. I have not seen sunlight since about <laughs> seven a.m. this morning. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting times, to say the least. Uh, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid said Joe's Tooney's uh, chances of playing are slim. Uh, I think most of us knew that he probably wasn't going to play. They've yeah. they've held out hope, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen uh, for Joe Tooney. So a man who officially IR'd uh, doesn't look like Tooney's going to make it. And off the IR comes Sky Moore. We'll see if he actually gets into the game. Let's hear from Andy Reid uh, talking about uh, being a play or two away. He was asked why he felt all year when they were struggling when they were losing six games they were still just a player or two away yeah well i felt that way I, the uh we had some drops and that's really where it was related uh and we were we were getting better but we were play away and uh for that that catch and it seemed like it came down to that catch three or four games and it was in some cases it was guys that I'd seen make the play before uh, that that weren't doing it at that particular time, but I know they had the potential to uh, to make it. So those guys ended up picking it up, doing well here the, the stretch here, and then we had a young guy Rice uh, who 
Rashid's game was getting better every week. And that, that's such a key ingredient when you have a Kelsey on the other side, that inside slot receiver. And so he kept getting better and better and better as we went along. And then he started making the play. And so he had that group of receivers making the play and then Rasheed picking, you know, picking things up as a rookie rapidly. So it all worked out well. Uh, I'd say a little bit of revisionist history there on that one. Um, You know, they also there's some addition by subtraction that went on there as well. Yeah, uh, I think to get things going. All right, let's take a break Uh, here. We will. uh, We think we're going to get a chance to sit down with Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, one of their NFL analysts coming up next here in the program. Welcome back here in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB as we are broadcasting live here at Radio Row, Super Bowl 58. Our coverage brought to you by Deep Squally Moore, Injury Attorneys, uh, Greenlight Dispensary, Hollywood Casino, and the Low T Center. Uh, do you know your numbers? Go to lowtcenter.com to get your levels checked. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. We, uh, we talked to Dan Orlovsky, uh, NFL analyst and a man who will actually call the Super Bowl uh, with, uh, what, Australia? New Zealand, parts of Europe, and cruise ships. Yeah, that's the big one. That's the big one. That's the second year doing it. Um, I think ESPN has done it for a couple years, but it's my second year doing it. Last year, got to do it. Obviously, incredible game. Being in the the environment and in the stadium was amazing. Um, Jerry Rice walking by with yes. a ring. That's unreal. Um, Jerry Rice acknowledging me is unreal yeah. to begin with. Uh, what's up? Um, and, and so, like, you know, get, having the opportunity to do it again, we were just chit-chatting, like, how many people yeah. are going to be able to go to their grave and say they called Patrick Mahomes in Super Bowls? Me being one of them is, like, one of the wild things of life. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the wild things of Chiefs fans' lives, that, like, for an accomplished national analyst to say, I get to call his Super Bowls, uh, plural, <laughs> by the way, uh, is is a phenomenal thing that, you know, Kevin Harlan had the call. He, he comes on uh, with us. He used to call the Chiefs games for years, lives in Kansas City. And, and Kevin called the radio call Kevin. for Westwood One. And he's called a number of He's got this this one this year. But he had 2019. And when the Chiefs had it won against the 49ers, his call was 50 years, a lifetime. Right? That's what. Mm. That's how Chiefs fans view like, we're mm. never going back again. Yes. I mean, we had some fans that were old enough to, but it was even before that I'm old, sure. before I was born, sure. that they won it. And so, you know, now to be sitting here and hearing you say Patrick Mahomes Super Bowls, yeah. we do still kind of pinch ourselves in Kansas City and be like, what do we do to deserve this? Good for you guys, you know? Good for you guys to be aware of that. Because so often we, you know, like, I'm part of it on TV as well. You know, I, I've even made the commitment, like, if Kansas City wins on Sunday, I am going on all those morning shows that I'm lucky to be a part of, get a first take. I'm not talking about the future. I, I just want to be present. I'm not going to talk about legacy. There's going to be time for that. I just want to talk about the game and everything in, in the culmination of this season because we get caught up in to constantly spinning things ahead and just losing sight of, like what's being accomplished in the moment, and I, I you know, as as I get years into this career, I just want to try to do a better job of that because, you know, if they're able to win, and you know, the the accomplishment over the last six years is just going to be mind boggling, given the 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 the, the level of talent that's also in the NFL right now. So it's you know, it's good on Chiefs fans to just 
make sure that you're aware of how special it is right now. You know, I think that's a very interesting point that you make about we always spin it ahead. Yeah. Right? And and, and to some degree, I like to say, look, here on here on the program, our show, we, we like to be proactive and not just reactive. Like, mm-hmm. we like to say, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. So that then after whatever happens, we can be like, wow, here's what we didn't realize, sure. here sure. what it was. So there's an element of that. But to your point about spinning it forward, it does feel like right now, as we evaluate, like, let's say the quarterbacks, Mahomes has already got three in his pocket. Yep. And, you know, from a Purdy perspective, he doesn't get it as much. But, like, oh, if he wins, he now joins this group. Sure. And then one of them's going to lose, and they have to give that back. Yeah. And so there's almost, like, frustration or even anger yeah. for, for whoever predicted Purdy to win that he doesn't win. Sure. It's like, well, he blew it with that throw in the third quarter where he did this or that. You know, we, we, we then rip it back away from him. And you and say, almost, you stink. Yeah, and yeah. push him all the way down and yeah. say, well, you failed me because yeah. I have said you would You're win. Not as good as you thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's, it's the it, to your point, the reactive aspect of it. You know, we are by nature, unfortunately, so many of us. I hope I don't fall into it that often, but I'm sure I do. Like to see people fail. You know, it's it's better for our business sometimes to have the negative spin. So, you know, you just got to constantly check yourself and be conscious of it. I don't think anything that happens Sunday can negatively impact the conversation around Patrick Mahomes. Right. Um, but, but part in part of that because we know he's not going to play horrible. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't just come out and throw like, where was that throw going? Yeah. What was he thinking there? Like, even like his worst days are kind of like it's like the sunrise. The, the gunslinger still knocking out four guys as he's finally being gunned down in the yeah. middle of the street. It, like, it, you know, it, it's I'm done. I'm done picking against them. I, I I told them, you know, I picked against them twice in my life. Last year's Super Bowl okay. and the AFC title game two weeks ago. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I'm done being dumb. So, yeah, it's – we don't have a lot of – I don't know if we have any evidence of him just – I think he's had games when he hasn't played well. I don't know if we have any evidence of him being the reason the team the game the team lost. Right. You know? And that's shocking for a guy that has played in that much football in that many big games. Yeah. And he, and he just he's not one of those guys that just spirals down because even the 2019 Super Bowl against the Niners, he had two picks. You know, I rewatched and, and, that game. Yeah. I rewatched that game this week and the number one takeaway I had was how did San Francisco lose that game? Yeah. You know? You know, cuz when he throws that behind Tyreek interception with down 11 with, what, nine minutes to go, seven minutes to go? Yeah, I think, I think they were down 10 with seven to go. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just – and then all of a sudden the third and long shows up. You're like, that was it, you know. And so, yeah, we just – I think the, the coolest thing that's going on with Patrick is Patrick took the league by storm physically, and he was cool. Like, he was yeah. cool. Like, hey, we've yeah. never seen anything like this. We've never seen this, this like, young, um, outspoken, at least personality-wise, ridiculously talented, jaw-dropping talent do things that we just – it was difficult to describe. And then he's transitioned into this, um, like, suffocate you, choke you out, um, methodical, you know, kind of um, presence, you know, where it's like, well – Four or five years ago, I, I killed you with the bomb, and and now what I'm doing, I'm I'm killing you with that one throw. Yeah. That 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 third down throw that just matters the the most when I just have to fit it into this window rather than run around and make a play. And um, I, it's really cool to see that growth and development. Yeah. He uh, and I mean this as a compliment, and I've, I had this conversation with a number of different people. Game manager is not a negative term. Some people use it that way. It shouldn't be because you have to manage the game. A coach needs to manage the game. A quarterback needs to manage the game. And usually you learn to manage a game and then you – 
pushed out to what your ceiling is. He's and reversed it. He was like, here's all the ceiling. And now as he's lost weapons because of the cap and the different things that go with it, he's had to manage the game. And he's taking sacks to keep the clock rolling in the fourth quarter. You know, he's throwing it away early, something he never wants. He, he's such a competitor. He never wants to even lose on a play. Yeah. But the big picture of winning the game is there and always present. I mean, he seems to have complete control of everything that's going on And on the it's field. rare for a highly talented, physically talented player to be capable of doing that. Right. Guys that are so unique and can do things that others can't, it's hard for them to control that. Because Patrick knows nine out of ten times he can make that throw that no one else in the league can make. But... Is that the right play in that moment? And he's learned that, like the, the right play. We, you know, the NFL live crew constantly texting during games, and that was like the the big theme that started to become present as the, the second half of the season went on and certainly the playoffs. So many of us would be like, he just makes the right play. It's maybe not the jaw-dropping play, and it's maybe not the sexy play that we're used to in the past, but that was the right play in that moment. And... You know, that's kind of the thing that, you know, part of it is because he knows he's got a great defense. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm mad about myself at is throughout this year, the overwhelming thing that he has said in post-game press conferences is we just got to try to get better. We we just got to keep working at it, try to get better. And I even said, like, hey, Patrick, you're not. You guys aren't. You know, at some point, you're not getting better. And he just never blinked, and he never wavered. It was like, we just, you know, I, 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 when we put it all together, we're good, we're good enough to beat anybody. And part of you knew that, but part of you was like, yeah, but you guys aren't, you know? And then they have. And you got to give him credit to kind of like speaking that out into existence in many ways almost. My statement coming into this playoffs was they're good enough to beat anybody that's left playing good in enough this. To beat, get but they're not good enough yeah. to win four in a row mm. against playoff caliber teams because they've played, frankly, very sloppy football. Ball for three quarters of the year at least. No like doubt. whether it's the penalties with Taylor and Donovan Smith or turnovers, not you know, dropping the ball, MVS against the Eagles, lining up off sides, obviously, Kadarius Tony uh, against the uh, Bills that have cost them. They've been a sloppy team. Yeah. I've never seen anyone who seemingly they play god awful against the Raiders on Christmas Day. Yeah. And then everything seemed to switch against the Bengals. Now part of it is we haven't seen Kadarius Tony play, and he's here, shockingly to me, frankly, with some of the things that have gone on. Yeah. Um, and they activated Sky Moore, who also had a number of drops along the way. But it was there an addition by subtraction that they got down to, listen, what we've got is Rashi Rice, Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco, and we're going to throw everything into that. Listen, I said that week maybe 16. I said, I, I don't know Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. I hope they have bright futures. I said, I want to play them anymore. Yeah. I said, you're good enough. Defensively, you're in every game. So you're good enough. We are going to play with Noah Gray and Kelsey and Pacheco and Rasheed Rice and MVS. And we're just going to we're, we're going to we're good enough with that. And I said I wouldn't put those guys in the field, and I would lean into a little bit more tight end usage and get the ball to Rasheed and whatnot. And you know, I think the thing that has stood out at least offensively from this group in the playoffs, is they've become very game plan specific. And i got to give credit to Andy Reid and Matt Nagy. They have, they have gone in, they went into the Miami game and said, okay, we are going to just hammer three-level throws. Okay, they did that. Then they go into the Buffalo game, and, you know, everyone knows they got into a certain formation, they shifted out of it, and they ran right at Taron Johnson consistently. And then they go into the AFC Championship game, and they were in four strong in seven different ways, four people on one side. So, you know, I think that's helped. You know, I think that... 
that's helped. They've taken the the regular season offense that maybe had a, you know more moving parts and more to know and whatnot, and they've shrunk that down. And so there certainly is that level of more, I guess, focus. Um, you know, they're, they're not asking guys to do as much, and I think that's improved the individual and then, in, you know, turn cumulative performance. Who do you think it's harder for, Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes? Because I almost uh, feel like it's harder for Pat, or for uh, Andy Reid. Yeah, I think it's hard, harder. I don't know. I think it's really hard for both of them because one of the beauties of Andy ever since he's gotten Patrick is the playbook has exploded. Yeah. And that's one of the great things that it's been awesome to watch is like they took all these cool plays that you would only run if you were up by 21 in the fourth quarter. So it wouldn't matter if it, you know, was a dud and they call him the fourth play of the game. You know, so like that was the, 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 you've had to, you know, Andy and Matt Nagy have had to like shrink, I guess, the creativity and the willingness of the creativity. And they've had to say, Hey, we're, we're really good. We're Gonna, we're going to do this this game really, really, really well. So you've got to have great discipline in that. And then again, back to the previous conversation with Patrick, it's, I'm sure Patrick's in there like, dude, you call whatever I want. I'll make whatever you want. I'll make it work. But is that what's best for the team? Right. You know? And I, I, they, they both had to show great restraint, great restraint. A stat that's been thrown around that Chiefs fans love is that against the other top two of three, the Chiefs being the third top scoring defenses in the NFL this year, Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens, uh, Brock Purdy was one touchdown, five INTs. Yep. And so Kansas City fans are hanging the hat. See, he can't handle the elite defenses. He won't be able to handle our elite defense. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, I think anybody that's ever heard me talk, I always try to talk about context as much as I can. That Cleveland game, there was a stretch of weather in that game that was not good. You know, it was rainy and crazy windy. I don't think Brock played that great and then obviously missed two guys with both Trent, Trent Williams and Debo. Yep. Game-winning field goal doesn't go in, so that's that. The context of that matters. The Baltimore game was a shocking game. That that was the game where I sat there and said, "Huh, that didn't look anything like that young man." And I think that was, you know, a shock to all of San Francisco in the way that he didn't see he didn't see coverage rotate in, in that capacity. Um, they got beat up on the offensive line. I think that's where Kansas City's got a huge advantage. Is you know that defensive line is very good in Kansas City, and I think they can get after San Francisco's right side pretty good. So. Brock's a really, really, really good player. He's never been in this moment and against playing against a great defense like this, against a unbelievable big game defensive coordinator like this. So it's obviously his biggest challenge ever. ESPN's Dan Orlovsky is with us. Final four, four quickies, one or two words, yes. right? Just the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I'll start you with this. Are you making a prediction on the game? Yes. Okay, what do you got? Kansas City wins. KC's just not going to pick against uh, anyone else. I love that. I think All they're right. the better team. Okay. Uh, tell me, how many Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes win in his career? Five. Five? All right. How long do you anticipate Andy Reid coaching? Four more years. Four more. I love that. Uh, all right. And what's your favorite uh, game of chance, table game, betting? What Here in Vegas, What you got one that you enjoy the most? Yeah, I work way too hard to gamble my money away. I always tell everybody these buildings don't look this way because people win. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll take, a, you know, 100 bucks and, and play a little blackjack with Marcus this week. Marcus loves to gamble Spears. Okay. Um, so I'll play a little blackjack. Uh, I'm, I'm a sit-on-16 person. Um, and then my wife, every time I go to a casino like this, asks me to put $100 on um, the roulette thingamajiggy. Okay. So, so a bunch that. of 
birthday or something like that. Or I'll let her tee it high. Whatever it is. Whatever she feels like in the moment. Yeah, okay. So. Okay. Well, Dan, hey, we appreciate it. Have a great call. Thank you. I think it's awesome, man. And, and I love how you realize what, what a great honor yeah, that is cool. to call that Super Bowl. So have a great call, and we appreciate the time. Thanks, bud. You bet. Dan Orlovsky from ESPN. Uh, smoked the skills competition, by the way. Didn't even have time to get into that. He was dropping dimes all over the place, outperforming the quarterbacks that are playing today. Uh, well done. Dan Orlovsky with us here in the program. He's a pastor who likes the passing game, an attorney who enjoys play action more than class action. And he loves to watch Chiefs game tape for hours and hours and hours. He's Seth Kaiser of The Athletic on the program. Welcome back here in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB as we're broadcasting live here at uh, Radio Row. Super Bowl 58 is where we are, to be uh, precise. Uh, our coverage here at Radio Row brought to you by the Low T Center, Deepest Quality More Injury Attorneys, Greenlight Dispensary, and Hollywood Casino. Um, we uh, are going to talk a little Chiefs football here. Seth Kaiser with us. He's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. If you suffer an orthopedic injury in everyday life or playing sports, you can see uh, be seen by the same experts that care for these uh, AFC champion and hopefully Super uh, Super Bowl champion very soon, Kansas City Chiefs. I'm talking about the University of Kansas Health System. Uh, they can uh, see you with uh, walk-in care. Uh, don't even need an appointment uh, right there at 435 and all. 8 to 7, Monday through Friday, 8 to 2 on Saturdays. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash orthopedics. Uh, Seth Kaiser joins us here in the program. Seth, how are you, sir? I'm doing really, really well. I hope you're having a great time there on Radio Row. Yeah, it's it's been fun so far. Been a good day, and and certainly enjoying uh, getting to talk a lot of Chiefs football with a lot of people. It's always better when the uh, Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, and uh, you know. I, 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 so many people just keep telling me I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes. We, we mentioned Curtis had the stat. There were like 64 national guys that were asked who they're taking. 49 of them took the Chiefs. So that's like 77% that are taking the Kansas City Chiefs, yet they're still a two-and-a-half-point underdog. So are we just too easily, the football community, when I say we, uh, just too easily saying, well, Patrick's playing, so he's going to win? I mean, yeah, I think that's probably part of it. The only time people have seen Mahomes lose was because of an, an offsides, um, because having his entire uh, offensive line gone against the exact wrong team to have that happen against, and then an inexplicable second, an inexplicable second half meltdown against the Bengals. And then you've got a bunch of evidence on the other side. I do think we tend to go a little bit more with gut, right? Whereas Vegas is going to go with the numbers. They're going to go with what you've seen. The Niners have been the best offense in football the vast majority of the season. They've got a solid defense. There's no reason to not pick the Niners. And yet, I think the the football world, we're a little more gut-feeling types, and people have seen what Mahomes and this defense have done this year. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I and I think there's clearly something wrong with the numbers, or or maybe a little off, or maybe something that they they can't quite quantify as to what he does. Uh, I've been, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of think maybe it's like his escapability. Like they can quantify how accurate he is. I can throw deep. I can do these things. What they can't quantify is like when a play goes wrong, he can still succeed, and they don't have a way to really get their arms around that. I think that's that's part of the equation there, and and why 
he seems to be so good. When it comes time to make a play, he makes a play, and, and he makes whatever play is necessary. So if it's just a simple play, he makes it. If it's a big play, he makes it. That's difficult for mathematicians to put their arms around. Absolutely, and and it's tough because that's small sample size stuff, right? A lot of the stuff that you're going to get in terms of analytics, and this is incredibly valuable information, but it's about what happened over the course of the entire season, right? And the smaller the sample size gets, the harder it is to really put it on, on on the table with the larger sample size. You know, it's kind of, that's why that joke, you know, 70% of the time it works every time. It's funny because if you take a 70% bet, you're like, wow, that's great money. But 30% of the time it doesn't work out. And some of that intangible stuff is what comes into play there. And I also think, and I could be wrong here, I think that in football, style, styles make fights. We've talked about that before, similar to, to MMA or boxing. And I think football guys, and I could be wrong here, but I think a lot of football guys, they love the Niners offense, really, really, really great team. But they also see some holes in the Niners defense, and they see some things that Spags has done against the Niners offense the last couple times they've played, and I think that makes them a little bit hesitant to pick not just against Mahomes, who's rapidly kind of – if he wins this, then it's official, right? No one will ever pick against him until something bad happens. But he's already almost reached that status. But I think people also see this defense and say – I think they can take away some of the things that the Niners do well. And maybe they looked at how Mike McDonald's defense did against the Niners or how Cincinnati's defense did against the Niners or how Cleveland's defense did against the Niners, how the Vikings did against the Niners. What all those teams have in common, great defensive coordinators and really good simulated pressures and blitz packages. And I think football guys see that. Um, I know you've got a great piece up on the Chief of the North newsletter talking about what some of the keys are to the uh, game. One of the ones that you kind of touch on that I want to ask about is losing Charles Amenehu and, 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 and the quantity, also losing Derek Nottie. I don't think Derek Nottie does a uh, you know does a whole lot but he, he keeps other guys fresh and if there was something a lot of us didn't see coming against the bucks was they kept losing an offensive lineman kind of all each week and they kept winning so we kept deciding well that one didn't matter and that one didn't matter and in reality when they were all down three of them down and one of them moved moving positions all of a sudden we went okay yeah, there was a cumulative effect here. It was a problem. Mm-hmm. This is not the quantity of injuries that that was, but it is multiple injuries along the defensive line. How concerning is that? I'm not, you know, Derek Nottie has had, a, had a, an okay season. I do think I kind of like some of the stuff that I saw from, from Neil. I can never remember whether to say Farrell or Farrell, so I'm going to go with Farrell. Um, he, I, I kind of like some of the stuff he did as a big-bodied, hard-to-move guy against the Ravens. I actually tweeted out after the game, I don't understand how they haven't found snaps for him this season. Because some of the things he can do is some of the same stuff Nottie can do. Same with, with Mike Fennell. So I, I'm not too worried about that. Charles Amenahu, I'm worried a lot more. You and I have talked about complimentary pass rush all year. You need more than one guy. And the Niners, outside of Trent Williams, have some vulnerabilities on that offensive line to take advantage of. And having a guy like Charles Amenahu who can win one-on-one a little more often, it all becomes exponential. It all builds upon itself to where you have pressure more often and the pressure is more intense. And if you can get Brock Purdy off his spot, he's more creative than Jimmy Garoppolo, but he still can be pressured. He can be had. 
And the more you can do that with four guys, the more creative you can be. So losing a man who, who was important in every playoff game, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge blow. I think the one thing that Chiefs fans can hang their hat on a little bit, they had to play the early part of the season without him. And Mike Dana and George Karloftis both played well during that time. Treshawn Wharton has actually played really well in the playoffs. And so you hope that you can continue to get those good results, but it's definitely a blow. And, and they just, they, they're going to need a really big performance out of someone who's not Chris Jones. Yeah. Who, who would be that guy? I, I think, I, I think what I'm really looking at is probably going to be Mike Dana would be my biggest guess. I would say Karloftis, but here's the problem. Quite often, you're going to see Chris Jones, I'm guessing, on important passing downs, line up against the Niners' right tackle, who is not nearly as good as Trent Williams, which to be fair, almost no one is, but he's also been more of a liability for them. And if they have him there, that means someone's got to line up against Trent Williams. And if it's Karloftis, you can count on him probably being erased. And that's not a shot at Karloftis. That's just who Trent Williams is, right? He erases everyone. And so I think the guys who are rushing from the interior have a better chance because that interior line has been more vulnerable. And that's where a guy like Mike Dana or even Tershawn Wharton, who has had a few nice pressures this playoff, gives them a little more of a chance. The other side of things would be if they line up Karloftis and Jones on the same side, which is something they did a lot more before Amena, who came back. Then I could see Karloftis getting a chance to eat a little bit against that right tackle. Yeah, I think what we might see is, you know, FAU coming into the mix and George Karloftis playing on the inside. I mean, he is a very powerful player. He has the strength. I mean, if they can get him into the obvious passing downs, that's, you know, going back to the Steve Spagnuolo NASCAR package we all love to quote. I mean, I, you know, I can definitely see something like that, you know, being his plan. Absolutely. And I also think Spags has had a while to think about this. We know it's going to be a unique game plan. Spags is terrific at this stuff. I would not be surprised to see him draw up more than a few simulated pressures that leave Trent Williams blocking air. Because there's really no point in sending a guy against him. Um, that, that really is who he is throughout his career. That's why people talk about Williams versus Jones. That would be a waste of Jones, even if he might win some of those, and he probably would. But that, that's a ridiculous way to do it when you can dictate the matchups. I do think uh, it'll be nice to see FAU get some snaps. The funny thing is, before Amenahu came back from suspension this year, I thought Felix was showing some juice on obvious passing downs. And so if they can even get, uh, you know, 10 viable snaps out of him rushing the passer, that's a win, and it allows them to at least somewhat cover up for losing a Menahu. Yeah, I, that'll be interesting. Um, I, I, what he does, what the chess match is with, with Spagnuolo against that offensive line, I think is going to be a critical part of the equation uh, for them You know, having success in the game. We're talking to Seth Kaiser, uh, Chief of the North Newsletter, with us here in the uh, program. What do you see when you look at Brock Purdy? You know, the stat that Chiefs fans love to hang their hat on, and it's a good one, is against the other two top-scoring defenses. Uh, he threw one touchdown on five INTs against the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Is there something about these teams that are really good in the uh, scoring uh, department that is going to, you know, somehow, uh, you know, render him powerless against the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, I'd be surprised. He's generally gotten it done all year, right? But if you look at their schedule, and this isn't, you know, I'm not one of the ones that says, oh, Brock Purdy's getting carried by the system or anything like this. But if you look at their schedule and you look at how they've accrued all these stats, and then you look at, and there's a reason I listed the four teams I did, right? 
if you look at the best defenses they've faced, they have not been as dominant. Now, they've got the skill position guys, they've got the system, and that's where Purdy comes under the microscope. And I think what Spags is going to try to do, just like what he did against, say, Tua, another guy with great skill position players, great running game, vertical, you know, horizontal running game, all that stuff is try to change things up right at the snap. For, try to remove the play caller from the equation. Kyle Shanahan can't help you if you change, if, if the defensive coordinator changes the look pre-snap to post-snap. Now it's all you, and you're a second-year player, and you've got to decipher why, you know, whether he moved from single high to two high or from cover three to cover six, whatever, right? And he's going to try to change up those looks, and that's going to be kind of the, the matchup of the game. Can he dial up the correct protections Mike McDonald actually does a lot of the same stuff Spags does. And he gave Purdy all kinds of problems when the Ravens kind of dominated them. And so we'll see because Shanahan's a genius. Purdy's a good quarterback. But against the very best defensive coordinators he's faced this year, they haven't been as dominant. And that's why I'm really interested to see how he handles that. Plus, I wrote about this. A lot of the condensed formations they use, Spags loves blitzing corners against those. And the Niners have not been great against blitzing corners this year, and the Chiefs happen to have the two very best in the NFL at it. Yeah. Do you worry about the Niners lining up and just trying to pound the run game? Oh, 100%. I think that is one of their huge paths to victory is you line up behind Trent Williams and George Kittle and great blocking wide receivers, and you just pound the rock over and over. They're not going to be bullied out of running the ball via personnel and alignment decisions the way that Spags was able to do with Munkin and the Ravens. He was kind of able to bully them out of that game plan a little bit, and and Shanahan I don't think will get dictated to that same way. Yeah, that... that, um... I don't know. I, like, I, I think, you know, so much gets made of or has and certainly was against the Ravens. Like, oh, their run defense. You know, they only rank this. Like, from them to number one is 24 yards a game. Like, is that really the difference? Like, is the extra 24 yards, uh, you know, the, the 24 less, or if you want to look at it from the Chiefs' perspective, the 24 extra yards are going to give up running is what, going to cost them 30 points? Like, no. Like, it's, it, I don't think people really realize it's great to talk about those rankings. Well, they're just an average run defense. Yeah, which really ain't that much worse than being the best run defense. Right. And, and the big thing is also game script matters so much. In terms of that, you know, I don't think Shanahan can be bullied with personnel or alignments out of running the ball, but I do think he really does not want to be in the same situation that the Ravens found themselves in early, right? Where things didn't quite go right early, and Shanahan often does great things early, just like Reed does. But where, you know, you suddenly find yourself down two scores against this Chiefs defense, that's that's tough. And Shanahan can get a little bit out of his game plan. Same with Andy Reid in those situations. And the Niners, you know, they, I think the answer to that would be, well, they've been there before. You know, they, they were they were down against the Packers. They were down against the Lions. The Chiefs' defense is not the Packers or the Lions. And neither of them, for as successful as they've been on offense this year, have Patrick Mahomes. So it really is a different scenario there. And I think that's kind of the – I think the first half matters a lot more for the 49ers than it does for the Chiefs. One of the narratives uh, for the game against the Baltimore Ravens was that with Humphrey the corner and with Hamilton the safety, they had uh, the magic you know, pill to go ahead and solve Rashi Rice and Travis Kelsey. How do you think the Niners match up about trying to stop those two? 
I don't think they match up as well defensively with Rice and Kelsey. Um, like, so take for example, their best cover corner is Charvarius Ward. We're very familiar with Charvarius Ward. Really good corner. Appreciate everything he did in Kansas City. But his specialty is defending goes, posts, other deep routes. He's actually had a lot of trouble throughout his career, and I think it's gotten better in San Francisco, but it's still there, with in-breaking routes. You know who's really good at in-breaking routes? Rasheed Rice. Yeah. I, I don't like that matchup for them as much. And plus, as a defense, here's the bigger thing for me. In terms of personnel, I, I think the Niners, they, they, they win up front. That's what they're built to do, of course. That's why they traded for Chase Young. But they have a – and we'll see what they do. This is not a prediction because everyone tries to do more in the Super Bowl week. But throughout the playoffs and the regular season, Wilkes has had a really static defense that just kind of lines up and does what it does. And I got to tell you, unless you have, you know, all pro caliber, pro bowl caliber across the field or you absolutely dominate the line of scrimmage, that is going to lose against Mahomes, Rice, and Kelsey, barring, again, an incredible game plan. Because it wasn't just about Hamilton or, or any of their other players. It was how good a job they did as a team defending some of Reed's stuff. And so I'm really curious to see if they remain static like they were against the Lions and the Packers. You just didn't see a lot of change-ups there. And uh, that's something I'm really curious to watch. What does scare you about the Niners? Like, if, if the Chiefs lose, what are we talking about that the Niners did? Oh, and if they lose, I think it's because, you know, that they, you know, their, their skill position players are too good to be held down. The Chiefs are used to winning that battle in the secondary. They can count on Snead and McDuffie to cover guys, Watson and Williams. That means they've lost some one-on-one battles there. It means Kittle's gone wild up the middle. It means CMC's probably maybe won in space against Bolton a few more times than we're all comfortable with. They've run the ball well. There, there's easy, there's a path here for the Niners to put up 35 on the Chiefs. They are a great offense. And then on the other side of the ball they managed to dominate the line of scrimmage at least to an extent with the pass rush while clamping down on shallow stuff similar to the raiders on christmas day yeah okay interesting uh we're talking to seth kaiser uh chief of the north newsletter uh joins us each and every wednesday here in the program time for our final four seth i'll start you with this let's just begin what's your official prediction on the game i think the chiefs win i think they go back to back i think it's going to be uh, 27 to 20, Chiefs. All right. Uh, what will your Super Bowl food be? Um, I think I'm just going to stick with, uh, with some buffalo, some, some chicken buffalo ranch dip. I love that stuff. Yeah, that is, that is uh, great uh, uh, stuff. I'll give you that one. Um, all right. How much of the pregame will you watch? Probably not much. At that point, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with my family. I'm just going to enjoy spending some time with them. I'm going to be ready for the game to start, and that'll just make me antsy if I watch the pregame stuff. All right, and finally, how many miles of pacing will you put in during the game? I would be shocked if it were less than five miles. There it is. He'll get his steps in uh, during the game. <laughs> Seth, great stuff, buddy. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk next week to wrap it up. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Seth Kaiser, uh, Chief of the North Newsletter. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, of course, our Final Four brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. You can be seen by the same experts that care for these Chiefs. Just go uh, right now and check them out online at kansashealthsystem.com. Slash orthopedics open uh, with the walk-in clinic Monday through Friday, 8 to 7. Saturdays, it's 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Thanks to everybody who joined us here in the program today. Two more days live here at Radio Row.
at Super Bowl 58.